Okay, I'm going to talk to you about the book of Jonah. Now, you don't necessarily, you want to look the book of Jonah, go ahead. I got a lot of stuff here, and I'm going to do it quickly. You may want to watch and get this later, but whatever you like, just don't be so caught up in taking notes that you forget what I'm saying, where what I'm doing here. It'll help you. Uh, the floor, the, I, I, I like the book of Jonah. I want to talk to you tonight about the four fleeings of Jonah. But Jonah rose up to flee. So I got it right out of the exposition, right out of the text. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, which was the opposite way that God wanted him to go. So he paid the fare. And boy, that's a sermon. A lot of people preach on that phrase. He paid the fare thereof and went down into it and to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The opposite direction. Tarshish was west, and he was told to go east to, to Nineveh, north, northeast. And he went west, so he took off whatever the opposite direction was. He felt God was going to, I hope we're never deceived to believing you can run from God. I hope, there's lots of big lessons into this book. I was on a talk show years and years ago. I was in my 20s. I went on a Jewish talk show, a rabbi. And he was free to question me any way he wanted to question me. And he was trying to stump me and make me look stupid, especially about the Old Testament. I should have questioned him about the New Testament. But anyway, he was questioning me about the books of the Old Testament. He said, what's the theme of the book of Jonah? And I said, it's God's mercy. God's mercy. And that is one of the, there's two major themes, but that's one major theme of the book of, the book of Jonah. God's mercy displayed. So let me say a few things. Some of this just, uh, this is a question I asked a rabbi. Once I got debating a little bit around with this rabbi, once I realized that he didn't believe in any of the supernatural of the Bible. This is a, probably a, a Reformed Jew. And he didn't believe in any of the miracles of the Bible, uh, his Bible, the Old Testament. And so I said, well, the trouble with you is you got a little small God. Here's a Gentile, heathen Gentile talking to him. He thinks he thinks of me. I got you got a little small God, and I got a really big God. My God made everything it is. You know, the beginning God made the heavens and earth. I'm quoting his own scripture back to him. But he's in unbelief. Eyes are blinded in unbelief. Well, how big is your God? And you know God's going to test each one of us and does test each one of us to how big he is. How big's God? I find to most people, God's pretty small. And no offense meant, but God cannot do a whole lot or, not, or will not do a whole lot. Uh, the least little interruption in their life, they somehow feel God forsook them or wasn't able to help them. They have a misunderstanding who God is, and Jonah will help you get who, find out who that is in some degree. This is the most disputed book in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. It's uh, been disputed for many, many generations back through, disputed on its uh, inclusion into the Old Testament. However, it is the most known Bible story in the Bible. If you go out among the world and talk about Jonah, and they'll say the whale, which is a, I see where they get it. Jonah and the whale really was a large fish. It was not a mammal. It was probably, uh, they, 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 they believe it was a whale shark. That's the going theory on, it was a fish with a big mouth. 
Well, has a whale shark got a big mouth? If you look at whale sharks, it's really, it's really uh, what you call, oh, I mean, it's the thing to do is to get in front of a whale shark when they open their mouth wide open as a diver. And, you know, you could easily fit in his mouth, easily, easily. But, of course, do that without getting swallowed and get your picture taken. Put that up on your wall. That's a big deal. They don't want to swallow you. They don't want to swallow you. They don't eat big pieces. They eat small amount creel or whatever. I don't know. A little small food. So, but but it, if you go out go anywhere and say Jonah and the whale, they'll go, oh, yeah, Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the whale. I heard that when I was a kid somewhere. Yeah, you did. Sunday school class. But it's rejected as literal by all except fundamentalist literalists. Because that's what we are. The, the majority of people in this room tonight are fundamental, literal, natural interpretation of scripturists. I mean, we, uh, we believe in the normal, natural sense of what the Bible says in its literal form. I think every jot is a crossing of a T, or every, every jot is, excuse me, a dot of an I or a tittle, which is a crossing of a T, if, and put it in English terms, uh, is, is going to be fulfilled. Every little part of the, the Word of God is going to be fulfilled. Absolutely. How can that be possible? Because we have a big God. I go back to this. Where is your, who's your God? I, I, I don't understand why people have small God. Small God can't save me. I need a big God to save me. I need a God big enough to resurrect me. I need a big God well enough, big enough that when I die, He can keep my soul. Into thy hands commend I my... Spirit, Jesus said. I need, when I come to that place of stepping over, I'm going to have to let, whether I like it or not, my, my spirit's going to be gone, going to leave from the body, and I'm going to commend my spirit into God's. I go to bed sometime, and I just feel led to pray, Lord, into thy hands, commend I my spirit. Then I go to sleep. And I may wake up on the other side. Boy, what a way to go, man. That was being, woo, rather than five, six years of dementia again, put in an institution, you know, and all that other stuff that I see people have to go through to seven years like my mom got humbled so badly. Oh, but he'll do what's best for me. Most simply, uh, most, most of the people when it comes to Jonah just simply deny the supernatural. And when you talk to people and they start arguing about the Bible, you know, did a whale really smile on Jonah. This, uh, Jew, this Jewish rabbi said, do you really believe a whale swallowed Jonah? And I said, no, I don't believe it. He was getting happy. I said, a great fish swallowed Jonah. And if you know the Hebrew, you know that's what it says. Of course, he knew the Hebrew much more than I would know the Hebrew. But I knew the technical well enough. So, so questions we may ask when we come to the book of Jonah, cannot God control animals? Well, he sure can. He can do whatever he wants. You know, he can control them any way he wants to. He made them. He programmed them. He, he can control them. Again, our God's big. He has no problem with controlling them. So he could prepare a great fish. It wasn't your normal kind of fish. He had to take, evidently, the stomach acid that would be normally found in that fish and change maybe the chemistry of it to where it just didn't kill, for some people believe Jonah actually did die in the belly of the fish and was resurrected and spit up on the shore. You can fight that out all you want. 
I've talked about that towards the end of this. Cannot God preserve life anywhere? Yes, he gave life. He, may, he sustained your life. And you're only here tonight because he wishes it so. Or you'd be gone. And no matter how you would not want to be gone, if God says it's time to come home for supper, you're coming home for supper. I like that, by the way. My mother had a, my mother had on our farmhouse, had a dinner bell, a big old dinner bell. I was about two, three miles away. I'd hear that dinner bell. She'd ring that thing. Now, she only rang us so long. If you didn't get home within a certain amount of time, you got whipped when you got home. Then you ate supper. But, uh, I, the only thing I have out of the old farmhouse is that dinner bell at my house. We, I saved the dinner bell, brought it to my house, and hung it back up. So I told my wife the other day, she wanted me, she made some lunch for me, and she, she was out there yelling, I couldn't hear her. Uh, I said, why don't you ring the dinner bell? She says, you don't hear it. You don't hear a dinner bell. I says, I, I got it. It's in my head. I can hear it. Just try ringing it. Anyway. So, while Jonah paid the fare, God prepared the fish. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And when we read this, the job and found a ship going to Tarshish, he paid the fare. And God was preparing the fish. And now the Lord, in verse 17 of that chapter, now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And it was, and Jonah was the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's not part of a day. That's three days and three nights. A literalist takes it for what it says. You with me? Not a part of a day makes a whole day, and if you include this and go back to Jewish tradition and all that, you can, in a day and a half or a day and a quarter, you can get three days. No. I actually believe Jesus was crucified on Wednesday. And that gives you three full days and three nights before the resurrection. If you try Thursday, you can't fit it in. If you try Friday, for sure you can't fit it in. So it's not Good Friday, it's Good Wednesday. Now, if you believe it's Good Friday, you believe all you want. You just stay right where you're at. No, just stay right there. I'm, I'm good because whether we believe what day he was crucified is not why you're saved. You're saved that he was crucified. And you never divide over stuff like that. Never, never, never. You want to believe it's Thursday, you want to believe it's Friday, you want to believe it's Wednesday. All I can tell you, he got crucified, and the third day he rose from the dead. Now, you interpret that how anyway you want to do it. Personally, me, I'm in the full three days. I'll tell you why in a minute. Seven prepared things I found in Jonah. When I, I like the book of Jonah. I've perused over the book of Jonah. And what I'm doing tonight is kind of giving you accumulation of my, my life study of the book of Jonah. And I'm just kind of putting... A little bit here, a little bit there, and then I'll, I'll get more logical as we go on. Some prepared things of Jonah. God prepared his prophet in 117. God prepared a storm in 1-4. God prepared a great fish in 117 again. God prepared a, the people in 3-5. That's the people of Nineveh. Ooh, you hear me on Sunday say, if you, are you come expecting anything from God? Remember me, I say that? Are you coming? Are you, are you want something from you want something from God? Are you prepared? The people of Nineveh, God prepared them for the coming of Jonah. Ooh. God prepared a gourd. God prepared a worm. And God prepared a wind. 
Those are seven prepared things in the book of Jonah. So God's hands all, all over it. Two major themes of Jonah, how God deals with servants who resist his will. You learn that from Jonah for sure, don't you? And how God has mercy on the heathen if they repent of their wickedness. I don't think we're worse today than what Nineveh, everything I've ever been able to read about Nineveh historically was so vicious, so violent. I'm not even sure we're as bad as Nineveh was. Nineveh was really bad. Remember, what's the, what's the worst sin that, se- that seems like the worst sin that God hates? The Bible says uh, in a, about the flood people that every thought and imagination of the heart was evil continually, right? But it also says the whole world was filled with violence. And that's what caused God to repent that he made man and said, I'm going to have to destroy them all. So it can be concluded, at least you can come to a logical conclusion, that violence is one of the last steps to destruction. Violence. God does not like violence. Person-to-person violence. Uh, he, he's against it. And God have mercy, we shouldn't be that way. Amen? As people. But our country is becoming more and more violent. You see that happening. Yeah. That's a step downward. Uh, there's some other interesting facts I brought up. Jesus speaks about Jonah. Now, if Jesus speaks about Jonah... Remember I told you earlier, one of the more disputed books of the Old Testament is the book of Jonah. When they mean disputed, they don't think it should ever be in the Bible and it's not of God. Yet Jesus, in the New Testament, refers back to Jonah. To me, that's all you got to do. That's credibility enough right there. He never questions the the, uh, inspiration of the book of Jonah. He never questions the facts of the book of Jonah. Comparing his three days in the belly of the fish to his three days in the heart of the earth. Jonah's three days in the belly of the fish, he said, he's like, I'll show you the verse there. So interesting facts of Jonah. Jonah was a sign. Matthew 12, 39. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation, this is Jesus' words, seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah, Jonas or Jonah. My grandfather's middle name is Jonas. And when I was born, I was supposed to be a girl. And so my mother was just devastated when they told her it was a boy. And so my dad was not there. He was out rabbit hunting. And so when he got there, after I was born a while, she said to my, the doctor wanted to name me. You know, you put a name in a birth certificate. And he said, what should I put in a birth certificate? What should I put in a birth certificate? She won't, Lorraine wouldn't give any name. My name was Ruth. And that was her mother. That was her mother who died when she was nine years old. And she wanted to have a girl and name the kid after Ruth. And all it was all real nice and packaged up. Trouble was, hello. That wasn't going to be the way it turned out. So little no name was born. And uh, my dad came in and says, well, we're going to name him after my dad, William Jonas Lytell. And Lorraine said, you're not naming him Jonas. It's just J period. So I don't have a middle name. 
It's just William J. Period Lytell. So, but secretly, it's Jonas. Sign of the prophet Jonah. So he was a sign. Jesus condemns Jews of unbelief using Jonah's experience. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Why? Because they repented not at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Jonas staying in the fish was Jesus staying in the heart of the earth. I just told you I'd show you the verse. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. Now, if you look the Greek up, it's fish. Okay. The translators, for whatever reason, use the word whale. At that time, they probably did not have the scientific understanding that whales are not fish. They're mammals. And so they use whale rather than really, it's, it's, if you look the word up, anybody, fact check me all you want. That's, it's fish. So whale's belly or fish's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, I don't know. You know, I've read all the theories about the, about the crucifixion, what day it was on and all that, and how the time. I don't see how you get away from that verse right there. It's, it's tough. So, chapter 1, how God deals with disobedient servant. That's, that's the uh, theme of it. I want to show you some of the fleas of Jonah. Jonah flees away from God in the first chapter. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying that when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before, before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger, great in kindness and repentance of the evil. Now that is a compliment of God. That's who he is. Amen. The old devil tries to make God out. He's got an old, he's an old grouchy man with a big stick. He's going to whip you as soon as you get out of line. What is the truth is he's a loving heavenly father who gave his only begotten son he loved you so much, and he is not going to condemn you unless it's absolutely no other alternative but that. And then he disciplines us in Hebrews chapter 12 in loving kindness and tender mercy. Just like my dad disciplined me and my mother disciplined me not because they hated me because they loved me they didn't want me to be a liar they didn't want me to be a thief they didn't want me to go wrong they didn't want me to go to jail for sure Jonah flees to God chapter 2 and I said I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord and he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I and thou heardest my voice so Jonah had a change of heart he said, I'm leaving. I'm going to flee away from God. But, but in the second chapter, we see Jonah saying, oh, no, I'm not going to flee away from God. Lord, help me. I'm in, I'm in the heart of the earth. I'm in Dubai. Somehow he knew he was, I mean, it was pitch black where he was. It was pitch, there's no light, no light, pitch black, smelly. I would think uh, somehow he had oxygen. Or, like some commentators want to believe, he actually died in there and was resurrected. I, I'm good with either way. I, I don't think you can come to a conclusion on that. The Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out. How would you like to be vomit? That's pretty tough, right? I'm, I was vomit. He vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. 
Now, some believe that when he was vomited on the dry land because of being in the belly of the fish, it may have taken all the pigment out of his skin. And he could have been albino-looking, meaning white, white. Not We're not white, we're beige. But I'm talking albino-white. So you can imagine this guy being coming up in to the city of Nineveh preaching. It's a three-day three journey, walk by walk. It was a long way. And he's no hair, white, white skin. He's albino looking. I mean, he looks rough. And he says, uh, you're going to be destroyed. Jonah flees for God, so away from God, to God, and in third chapter, for God. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh in a great city, preach unto the preaching, and I bid thee. And as a preacher, you better preach the bidding God bids you. Preach what he tells you to do, say what he asks you to say, or you'll be in trouble. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet an eight word, is, you say, is Jonah Baptist? I never heard an eight word sermon from any Baptist. This is an eight word sermon. Yet 40 days and no Nineveh shall be overthrown. I put it, it's not the length of the sermon that matters. No. You say, why did they hear that? Well, he prepared, God prepared him. He prepared Jonah too, didn't he? Jonah flees against God after they repent. Because the Bible said they repented from the from basically the people repented and the king repented, and he said to put sackcloth on the animals. He said, We're going to humble ourselves from the king down. And they did. They humbled themselves. This is a wicked group of people. This is considered, by the way, the revival of Jonah is considered the greatest revival in known human history. The greatest revival in known human history was the revival at Nineveh, so at least that's is purported as that. Sounds right to me. I mean, man, all he had to do was say, yeah, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed, God's going to destroy the whole thing. What? No application, no poem, no three points, no invitation, no sad songs. Wasn't built on emotions, was it? It wasn't an emotional sermon, was it? Mm -mm. It was just preaching what God, well, he did the bare minimum. God said, do this. And he said eight words. And kept going. I'm going to tell you why we learn this later on this fourth chapter. Why did he say, Jonah did not want them to repent. Why did he flee from the first? Because, well, he says why, and I don't get ahead of myself. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled from under Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, great in kindness, repentance of the evil. He basically said, I knew you were going to forgive him. I think I've sat under a few preachers who, they weren't trying to help me. They were just trying to beat me up real good. Sometimes the old boy will get bitter. Jonah was a bitter preacher. Jonah was a bitter. Preachers can get bitter. Where they start treating their people like dirty, no good rascals that ought to go to hell. 
Now therefore, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. He said that twice in the book, by the way. He wanted to die. Have you ever been so down you wanted to die? There was a guy that Brother Zook talked about. I'm so lonesome, I could die. Brother, Brother, Brother Zook sang one of his songs. That was Hank Williams, wasn't it? I'm so lonesome, I could die. Or something like that. It's waking you up. It's getting here. Jonah flees against God. So an addendum. This is from, I'm an old appraiser, real estate appraiser. Always had addendums on everything. Addendum. God cares about children. Oh, this week, something big, something bad but big has happened. The Supreme Court, from what I understand, has to prepare a uh, uh, basically an opinion, a positive opinion, negative opinion, or a dissenting opinion. Or, and some of the, somebody leaked that thing out before they voted. And they leaked it out. Who do you think leaked it out? Well, don't tell me. They're searching. Who leaked it out? But some clerk, probably some, in my guess, I'm going to just say some female clerk that was for abortion leaked that thing out knowing there would be a whirlwind of a storm before they voted with the hope that maybe they would change their vote or their vote somehow could be influenced. Though according to the letter of the law, they're not supposed to be politically influenced or influenced by public opinion. They're just supposed to judge what is right and wrong according to the law. Liberty has her a blindfold on, if I remember right. She has a blindfold. She's got scales and a blindfold. You're not supposed to be influenced by the media or by any of that thing. May the Lord deliver us from abortion. It's a plague upon our house. A little Shakespeare. There'll be plague upon both your houses. The Capulets and the Monagrees. The United States is under a plague because judgment must first begin at the house of God. You say, what about the rest of the world? Yeah, they've they got responsibility too, but this is a, this is a Christian Bible-based, Bible law at least, based nation, Judeo-Christian. And for us to abort our babies, God forbid on all that. So God cares about children. I'm going to show you why. In chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd. God grew a gourd up. The gourd grew had big, big, beautiful leaves. It was hot, evidently, and it shaded Jonah. And he was real happy about the shade, and it relieved him a little bit. He was sitting out in the house. What was he sitting out in the house sun for? He was waiting to see if God was going to destroy Nineveh. Even though he's the guy that said, If you repent, he, knew, he saw them repent, but yet he was still waiting. Hope, I think he was hoping. That they that God somehow would destroy them because he knew maybe he knew as a prophet that in down 150 years down the road, Nineveh was going to take the nine, the ten tribes of Israel and destroy them. Nineveh came in with Assyria and destroyed the ten northern tribes. So he, maybe he understood that 150 years down the road that was going to happen, but they repented and delayed the judgment. Now, 150 years later. The book of Nahum judges them, and God did judge Nineveh. Listen, 
everybody gets at one time or another. You're going to get every the works done in the body, whether it be good or bad, is someday going to be before God. Nobody gets away with anything. And they were going to have to face their, their but when they repented, brother, if a person repents, God's there to help you. He said, you've had pity on this gourd, which the worm came up and ate. You didn't even labor for it. You didn't make it grow. It came up at night, perished in the night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score, that's 120,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle. How old is a child that cannot discern between their right hand and their left? Stacia. About three, four. That's what he's talking about. There's 120,000, three or under, four or under, children in this city that don't know they're swinging their right hand, left hand. You want me to destroy this city? What about all them innocent children? God cares about kids. But even more so, or, or added to that, he cares about animals. I don't have a dog, and I don't have a cat, but I do care about animals, especially if they're tasty. Go to anyway. PETA, people eating tasty animals. But you're, even the law of Moses talks about cruelty. You're not to see the kid in its mother's milk. You know what that means? Don't boil a, a kid, meaning like a kid goat, a baby goat. Don't boil that kid goat in the, in the mother's milk. It's something that God didn't like. It was cruel that she'd have, be, have her own baby boil in her own. It was something about cruelty that God said, I just don't want you to do that. Don't see the kid in its mother's mouth. I just got done reading that a couple of times with Burke and Leviticus. Don't do it. He cares about animals. We're, never supposed to, we're not supposed to torture animals. Um, we can kill animals. We're supposed to be as quick as possible, as painless as possible. I mean, Dodge City, where I went through a memorial, Tom and I went through Dodge City. We, you could smell it before you went through it, remember? Woo! That's a feedlot. They processed 20,000 cows a day. That means they killed and processed 20,000 cows a day. When you go to the hamburger place, you go, to, you go to Five Guys, or you go to Burger King, God forbid, or you go to McDonald's, somebody had to kill that for you. A chicken. I know this ladies may, may some of you may find this hard to believe, but chicken actually have feathers. And, and, and they don't come wrapped in shrink wrap plastic, all nice and clean. Marilyn knows this real well. I brought over 12 roosters. I shot 12 roosters at my house and brought them over to her house. And Bob said, we'll take them. We love them. Bob never turned food down in his life. He said, we'll pluck them and clean them and she just had her nails done. And uh, July 10th, 90 degrees. Now, you're not bitter on me, are you? You're close, though. Let me get something straight. I had to kill him. 
pick them up and put them in the cooler. My mom, my mom and dad, my mom and my mom wanted us to have a farm experience. So she would raise chickens and then have us kill them and put them in the cones and bleed them and then to, you know, gut them and then take the feathers and burn burn off the little and make us do that as children because she said, you're not getting out of this without knowing how this thing works. So I said, okay. So uh, God loves children. Three exceedings of Jonah. This is just the addendum. Jonah was exceedingly glad for the gourd. Jonah was exceedingly sad when God blew upon the gourd, killed it. Jonah was exceedingly mad when it died. Now I have something to say about that. Three steps to salvation are opposite of Jonah's backsliding. Jonah, he was glad, he got sad, and then he got mad. But to get saved, a sinner gets mad when he hears the gospel. And when he gets convicted of the Holy Spirit, he gets sad. And then when he repents and gets saved, he gets glad. Three steps salvation. Mad, sad, glad. But Jonah was backslid. He got the other way around. The sinner enjoys his sin now. He's glad. But pretty soon he's going to find out that he's going to be condemned for that sin. He's going to get sad. And then when I believe he's in hell, he's going to be mad. Eternally mad. And so uh, that's the exceedings of Jonah. Jonah's an interesting book for four short little chapters. God is preparing things ahead of us. Look for what God has prepared for you daily. Look for people he has prepared. Like Jonah, he prepared the Nineveh people, the Assyrian people there in Nineveh. He prepared them for the eight-word sermon. If you're prepared for some, I believe if you prepare yourself by the grace of God, when you come to services, God will give you something, no matter who the preacher is, no matter if he stutters, no matter if he has a horrible voice, no matter if he tells bad jokes, no matter if he, uh, he he's even says offensive things. If you'll come prepared, God will brush all that to the side and he'll give you something from heaven. If the word of God's involved in it. Look for opportunities he's prepared. God, what's the opportunity? Oh, Lil, Lil Sikora, God bless her. She and uh, Bill would get up in the morning and say, what, what opportunity do we have today to glorify God? How can we glorify God today? What can we do for, what can we do today? That's a great, it's a great attitude, amen? Look for challenges he has prepared. God is going to challenge you. He's going he's to test you. Look for victories he has prepared for you also. That's the end. That's it. There's no more. The book of Jonah. I hope I resurrected your interest a little bit in that little book of Jonah. A little four chapter book of Jonah. And uh, oh, thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight for the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the book of Jonah. Thank you the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharpening a two-edged sword, piercing southern joints and marrow. Ooh, discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.